0: Thank you for choosing this podcast from The Calling Community Church. As a Christ-centered community, our mission is to create space for all people to experience the compassionate love of the Father and the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today recorded live inside the Wilson Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri.
1: I'm introduce you to my friend Jacob Dupin his story matters his story is powerful and he's going to share with us today you're just going to do it from down here yeah, yeah awesome uh, yeah I don't know I don't know where the thing is I guess they don't want us to be up there That's right. I don't know all right I'm gonna pray for you okay. father I'm gonna pray for Jacob right now use him father in a powerful way speak to us through his story and lord just in a, in a little while I'm going to open up your word And the fact that our names are written in your book is the most important part about our story. And I know the fact that his name is written in your book, the book of life, matters more than anything else that he's ever accomplished, anything else he's ever went through. That matters most. But in the midst of all that is an incredible story of your grace and mercy and faithfulness in his life. So use him in a powerful way. Let us listen with ears to hear and hearts to respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Well, uh, yeah, like Brady said, my name's Jacob Dupin. Um, I've spoken here a couple of times. <clears throat> I'm not a, I love public speaking. It's one of my strong suits. However, I hate telling my story. So like my heart is pounding. I don't, my voice is quavering. I'm not a fan of telling my testimony. And if you knew me, you know I like to talk. And particularly my favorite subject is roughly myself. So this is weird for me. Um, <laughs> And I've struggled with it because two weeks ago, Brady told me, hey, I'm going to start my clock, sorry. <laughs> two weeks ago, Brady told me, hey, um, I want you to share your story. And right away, I was like, dang it, okay, I'd rather talk about giving. <laughs> 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 uh, I feel more comfortable telling you to give me your money than me giving you my story. So, um, And so God has been dealing with me a lot about that. Um, I've kind of, I have an abstract mind, so I kind of got the image of a uh, of a, a disco ball, uh, I went out and spoke with a bunch of people the last couple weeks. Like, hey, how should I tell my story? I hate my story, and I had someone just be like, "Your story is just like a small part of Christ's story." And so, like when he was telling me this, um, I just started getting the image of a disco ball. That's weird, I know, but like I'm just one of those glass pieces on the ball, and we all come together and we're like just shining the glory of Christ and our story reflects him and how he's working through all of us. And so that really got me thinking like, okay, um, now I'm going to like say, Hey, my story is when I, when I found the Lord and, and things like that. And I, I thought, can I go that route? And I don't want to go that route because that's not like particularly my strong suit. Uh, cause I got saved when I was in fifth grade. I was listening to a, a guy named Randy Hogue, um, And he's a terrified individual, if you ever met him. Um, uh, He's an evangelist, and he went around, and he has this little little speech called Elevator to Hell. And I went, and I listened to Elevator to Hell, and he scared the hell out of me, and I understood right then and there. Like I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm a sinner. Christ has died for me. I don't want to go to hell. I get it. I'm bawling. My mom's like, do you understand what you're doing? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I don't, I don't want to go to hell. And I know that I put Jesus on the cross. And I, I get conceptually muster seed, right? You only need to muster seeds of faith to understand what's going on. A child's understanding of salvation, it's really as simple as that. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt through all the rebellion through the rest of my life, if I would have died at any point beyond that. I would have gone to heaven because I understood that I was a sinner. I took that and I ran with it. So uh, I, wanna, I wanna start with some scripture because God has been telling me the last couple of uh, weeks here, hey, don't tell your story and like when you got saved, I, I want you to tell a story of when eternity started for you. And so um, I'm gonna start with uh, John chapter 17, verse three. Uh, it states that now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the word know there in, in Greek is a very intimate word of no. Oh, hey, cool. Is a very intimate word. Um, I know Brady, but I know Angela. And Brady doesn't want to know me the way that I know Angela, and the way that Angela knows me, right? <laughs> yeah, right? So like, the word that Christ is using, and Christ is praying this entire chapter. This is the real Lord's Prayer, chapter 17 of verse John, when Christ is praying for believers and future believers. Um, he is saying, I want them to know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I think that is where my, I want to tell my story. And so, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm saved, I'm saved in fifth grade. But I want to read, uh, to get some imagery in your brain, there's this guy named uh, Cliff Graham. He wrote a book series called The Lion of War series. It's a five-part series. Only four books are out. The first book is called Day of War, and um, it's about David and his mighty men. Um, and so I just want to read a snippet from this so you get an idea of what I'm going to be going through when I'm talking about my story. Just, I feel like this is going to be helpful. And so David's been asked a question when he first um, understood the covering, and if you had to read the book, but it's basically God's spirit. Um, so when I was a shepherd, David said at last, in my youth, I saw my brothers dealing with problem sheep. I thought it was harsh what they did, but later I saw why it was necessary. The ones that are particularly rebellious need special attention. If the sheep wanders away or walks toward a cliff, the shepherd normally strikes it on the nose gently with his staff and warns it not to continue, and that works for most of the sheep. Other sheep need to be punished a little bit more strictly. Some need to be whipped. I used to take a branch of sycamore and strip it bare, then whip the legs of the sheep until they stopped running, and most of the time that worked. But every few years, though, a sheep would need a little bit more drastic punishment. During the year I left my father's house to join Saul's army, one in particular would not stop going into the forest. I would strike it. I would hold it. I'd never let it out of my sight but it kept fleeing to the darkest parts of the woods <clears throat> it wandered out into a storm one night i was huddled over my fire in a cave stranded when the wadi overflowed blocking the path home i pulled all my sheep into the cave with me to wait it out that sheep was not among them of course so i went after it left all the other sheep or left all the others in the cave and stumbled through the lightning and the heavy rain I finally saw it huddled under a tree. Any predator could have killed it right then. I picked it up and sang it, uh, I sang to it a calm, to calm it down, and I walked it back to the cave. When I arrived, the first thing I did was I snapped its leg over a rock. The sheep was bleeding and terrified, but I just let it flounder there for a moment. When I was sure that the leg was truly broken, I sang to it again a silly little song I had composed from one night after a bear attack in order to calm them down. And as I sang, I wrapped the leg tightly with a cloth. The sheep couldn't walk for days. I had to carry it everywhere I went, but I carried that sheep until the leg was healed. And for the rest of that sheep's life, it never left my side. It went where I went, and it did what I did. It grew quite old and produced a large amount of wool for us. That night, for the first time, I understood the covering. The covering is fire. It is the strength and courage and power Yahweh equips with us. It girds a man's loins when he fails. It snaps our legs when we need it. It speaks Yahweh's wise counsel. It comes only from Yahweh, who alone is the shepherd that we need. And so if you read uh, John 17, and it says that, May you come to know. There was a time in my life uh, again, I got saved in fifth grade, but I started growing up, like, I don't have anything to worry about anymore. Like, what's, what do I need to be saved from? I know and in, in, it was like four days before my 21st, bir- 21st birthday when the Lord snapped my leg and I lived my whole life. J- Jesus saved me from a bad place and I pray to him when I need help. But what has he saved me? Like, what has he saved me from? And I think there comes a time in every Christian's life, regardless if if that shattering of your life uh, is when you actually become saved. Or for someone like me in particular, when I got saved as a child and didn't understand, like, what does God need to save me from? I've been a Christian my whole life. In my particular story... I lived a life of rebellion, and I'm the sheep that's not producing wool. I'm not beneficial to my shepherd. I'm running around doing whatever I want in the darkest corners of the world that I can find. And so eventually, in God's, uh, I've heard it termed, severe mercy, where he will never go one step further in what it takes to draw you back to him. And so in some cases, it's the shattering of your image, which was what happened to me. It could be... What does he need to do to you? Does he need to put you in a hospital bed? Because the importance of the story that I'm sharing, why I read this story, was because that David was dealing with a sheep. And so in my story, God's dealing with the sheep. He, I'm one of his, but I'm not acting like it. And so what is he? He's, not, he's, a, he's a loving father, right? So, like, if you have children, I have children. I'm just not going to let my kids do whatever they want. And there are punishments there's discipline. You discipline those you love, and if you're not getting it, you're not in the family. I'm not going across the street and spanking my neighbor's kids. They're not in the family, so my father came after me, and what he had to do to me was get my attention, and I had built up this image of myself. I'm a full-ride scholarship athlete. I have all the hopes and dreams of the 2012 Olympics. I'm Um, can date any girl I want, I'm doing a lot of drugs, I'm doing a lot of drinking, and I'm really prideful because I'm very, very good at what I'm doing in college athletically still, I can uh, sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, I'm just living my life, not for God, I'm not telling God's story, I'm, I'm telling my story, and so when I look into the mirror, I'm seeing me, and I'm not seeing Christ, and what happens is Christ just shatters that image of me, and that's when I came to know Christ, when I realized, okay, Christ isn't just saving me from hell. He's saving me from myself. And that, in that moment, that's my, that was my shattering moment. That's when I realized when Christ is praying, may they come to know you. That's, that's when Christ became, like, real. That's when he became my savior. Like, he's saving me from me. He's not saving me from the consequences of my actions. And if I got to preach all, the, whole, the whole message here, I'd be talking about the rules of the harvest. I'm still reaping what I did during my college years. And I got two daughters now. It's, there's some things that will always just I have to deal with. And those are the consequences of my actions. But Christ has saved me from myself. He, hasn't, he, he saved me from hell. I understand that. But eternal life as a believer, eternal life doesn't start when you die. You're designed to reflect the sun now and you're getting prepared to go into glory. It's like the process of sanctification. So I got a lot of notes here, um, and I'm not going to go over my time, I promise. Um, so there's a point in every Christian's life where this becomes a reality. When, do you, when did you get to know Christ? So my story is the shattering uh, 16 years after I became a believer, after I was truly saved. Some people have a shattering at their lowest point, and they could be 30, 40, 50, however old they are, they get it. It becomes real to them, and then Christ becomes known, like the way I know Angela. It's intimate. It's my story. I have an intimate relationship with him, and that's what he wanted for me. That's what he wants for you, Um, and so basically my entire life up to the point was like I was just a backslidden Christian. I knew how to live, and I wasn't living that life, and um, everybody here is, been a backslidden like you you get you you meet Christ and you you go down the road of of being a believer but then a hard trial comes and you take a step back and you get stuck into some sin and you feel like oh I can't go back to the church because I've been sinning and you, everyone backslides we all play that mental game with ourselves but my whole life from like basically fifth grade on was just like walking in the opposite direction back, like backsliding down and away from Christ there's, and there's nothing more miserable on the face of the planet than a black, backslidden Christian. I mean, if you've known someone who's ever been on fire for the Lord and you've just watched them and, and, and they're growing, and then one day you're like, where are they at? And like, why do you look so miserable? And they've, they've just gone back to their old ways. Like, because you know you should be living one way and you're not, and you're just being dealt with. Well, the Lord was dealing with me and I wasn't catching the hint, so then the Lord dealt with me. Um, and so that was my that's my story of when I came to know Christ. And so the, the rest of that verse, John seven thirteen, goes on to, to John seven, I'm sorry, seventeen three through five. It says, Know this, know that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have bought you, or I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in Your presence with the glory I had before the world began. And so, when you start to understand that, man, like I'm coming to know Christ as my like Christ is who He truly is for me. He's not the person that I'm just praying for my my Christmas list, and He's keeping me out of hell. But He's here to like work in me so I can help glorify Him and bring honor to the Father in the life that I'm living, and to 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 be a light for those around me. You start to understand as you start reading scripture, and here comes the apologist in me, which we're going to be talking about our story and being able to give an answer. Like That's what I'm living, building my life off of. Psalm 8, 3 through 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? Exodus 13, 3, commemorate this day. The day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with his mighty hand. Those two verses have nothing to do with each other. Absolutely nothing. I just wanted you to hear the word finger in Psalms and hand in Exodus. He's like, God looks out of the universe and says, let there be light. And he's like, ah, Milky Way. Moon here, sun there, Mars here. And he's just get this imagery of like God just moving stuff around with his fingers, and I don't know. It's just like, it's. it seems like it's nothing for him to make the universe, right? Okay. Trying to get Israel out of Egypt. He, had, he talks about using his hand. So like, okay, so he can make the universe with his fingers and move, it, move the stars around, but when it comes to, like, getting his people, he's got to, like, use his hand and get real involved. And so, but when it comes to knowing Christ... Like, the next step in salvation is like, okay, I'm moving the, the sun around with my finger, and I'm holding the Milky Way in my palm, and I can just breathe the universe into existence. It takes me a little effort to get e- to get Egypt to let my people go. But when it comes to saving you, I lay my my entire life down for you. I sacrifice my body. So then it's not like God has to give extra effort. He's trying to, like, because he's God. He doesn't have to really try to do anything. There's no strength involved with that. He doesn't have to give up or exert anymore to do anything. He's a perfectly, like he's a perfect being. But he's trying to like give imagery for us. Like salvation costs something. And I'm not going to let you as your father go out and ruin your life and ruin my name. And so that's a big part of my story is that I just imagine like if I were to drop dead right now and like the corpse of my image that I had of myself how like I was a huge barrier to a lot of people like I can rattle off names that mean nothing to you of at least 20 people that wanted nothing to do with the Lord because of the way I lived my life and I was an outspoken self-righteous Christian in college and lived a completely different lifestyle than what I was than what I was preaching when that all came tumbling down and my my real self came out and my integrity was gone and I drugged my name and I drugged Christ through the mud I could tell you right now and I, I don't even know these people anymore but I, I could promise you they wanted nothing to do with God because of me and I was the biggest hurdle in their life because of what I was doing and so like that's the main reason Christ has been dealing with me is like this, this is my story tell my story through you um, because I was even then in my self righteousness like I'm making my story about me and I need to make my story about Christ and what he did for me um, so it's just the imagery that, that God is placing is that our salvation costs something. Um, and that's what really brought me to the point of where I am now. I'm still working on it. Those of you who don't know me or those of you who do know me, you guys know that there's. I got a lot to work on. I am not a perfect person by any means. Uh, but the shattering that's taken place in my life, I'm, I'm happy that that's taken place because without that, 100 years from now, that's going to mean everything to me when I'm in glory. When, I, when I'm with the Father in, in heaven, I'm not going to worry about the accomplishments that I made running around a track field or on a, in a football game. Everything that's causing scars on my heart and scars on my body now is what's going to be glorifying in, in heaven because he's chipping away at me to make sure that I'm ready to go. So um, if you have any further questions about that, we're going to be at our house on Friday, um, but... Uh, I'm going to drop a hint here. Tuesday mornings, we meet at Burger King, and I keep talking about a shattering, and thank God that God doesn't deal with everything that's wrong with us right then and there, right? Talk about, like, uh, depressing, abu- almost abusive. Like, if God took everything that was wrong in your life right now and told you to deal with it right now, it'd almost be abusive. But He get, he, he takes... To you, Like, what you need to deal with right then and there, right now. I need you to know my son now. I need you to know him. And then for the rest of your life, there should be this process of, like, chipping away. And so, like, the imagery of a hammer and a chisel, which I would have brought one, but I have to hold this. So, here we go. Ready? The chisel is God's word. This is the Bible. This is the, right, this is the way of righteousness. This is how you should live your life. This is how you're going to become closer to my son. So, what's the hammer the hammer is the community, it's the body of Christ. I trust Brady when Brady comes to me and says, I've seen this in your life and it doesn't reflect what this says. So then, and since I trust Brady with that, that he puts the chisel up and he swings the hammer. You, everyone here has the chisel. You need to find somebody, a group of men or a group of women that you trust with the hammer and start being chiseled away into the image of our Redeemer. That's my story. Thank you.
1: So we finished up our series of the seven commands of Christ last week, and we move into this time of learning that our story, as we walk out those commands, as we fulfill the commands that he has for us, and it becomes a part of who we are, we then take that power and that story, and we turn around and we start to share with other people. Because the time is short. And I'm reminded of that every single time that I go and I stand in front of a group of people there to grieve the loss of a loved one. As I went yesterday, and I was there to grieve the loss of my Aunt Leoma. And I stood there and I talked about how we need to make the most of the time that we have. And so as we think about these seven commands and how God has gifted us and encouraged us and has wired us to turn around and begin to share that same message with others, I want to, I want to share with you this, uh, this truth that comes from the end of Luke 9 into Luke chapter 10. So we, we started last week. Um, we, I, I didn't get a chance to read all of Luke 9, but I want you to go to there right now in your Bible if you can. Look at this Luke 9, chapter, uh, or verse 57. Okay, and then I'm going to do, do something at the end of the service today that we've never done before. Um, and, I, and hopefully it'll be a, a powerful moment for you. And so I just, I just get so, I anticipate, you know, just get so much expectation of what it's going to be like when we gather together. I had no idea what Jacob was going to share. I had no idea how he was going to just set this up so perfectly, and so at the end of Luke chapter 9, the, my subtitle in my Bible says, following Jesus. It says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. There may have been a time in your life when you said that exact same thing. When you first got this realization of the love and the grace of God. And you were so overwhelmed by his mercy and grace in your life. You said, Jesus, I will go wherever you go. I remember a, a guy named, um, his name was Pastor Jim. Uh, I cannot remember his last name. He came to the Baptist Church the preach revival. And I remember him telling a story about how he was on mission for Jesus. And I just remember, I didn't even know what I was talking about when I said, man, I want to be on mission for Jesus. Little did I know what Jesus was going to take me through. There was a breaking <laughs> in my life. And he took me to follow him. And so Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Does it sound appealing? Like, we, I don't know where we're going to stay, but let's go. Come with me. Trust me. Lord, he said, First, let me go bury my father. Now, in this particular case, it wasn't that his father had already passed away. And that 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 would have been really um, unkind of Jesus to say, you can't even go to your father's funeral. No, basically what the guy was saying was like, I'm waiting till my father dies so I can get his inheritance. Then I will be able to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It says, let the dead bury their own dead. He's talking about spiritual death. But you go on and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what it would look like if you were a farmer and you were plowing back how they used to plow, you know, back before GPS? And you you were plowing with a a horse or whatever it was that was pulling and you were like totally always looking back to remember what it was like, you know, the things you left behind you would not plow a very straight, very straight line. And Jesus is like, don't look back. You said, follow me, come and follow me. So then listen what happens right after that in Luke chapter 10. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 70. My, now, my Bible says 72 others. Now, a lot of manuscripts will say 70. And I'm wondering if there was, a, there was, this, uh, there was this thought of 72s. Seventy people sent out in pairs to go witness for Jesus. It says he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, I think that's interesting when I think about that, that they went out to every place that Jesus was about to go. Now, if you go on a mission trip, sometimes I've heard people say this, well, we're going to go take Jesus to Guatemala. No, let me just tell you, Jesus is already in Guatemala. Guatemala. Okay, it's not like you're going to somehow, you know, like, oh, wait, Jesus didn't show up until I got here. No, Jesus is already there. But I think when we go, when we witness, we go and we, we begin to plow the field and get it ready for them to hear the good news about Jesus. Maybe Jesus is there, but they haven't seen him yet. You know, Jesus is in Platte City, but there are people in Platte City that have never seen Jesus. You know, and they're waiting to see Jesus in you. They're waiting to see you love him, love them the way Jesus loves them. They're waiting to see you be Him in the flesh, incarnate to them. All right, so they're going and they're going to set this up for Jesus to come. And listen to what Jesus says It says, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Amen, Brady? It's true, isn't it? Brady, it says this all the time The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I mean, look around you. I just want you to look around you. There are more people in this church today than there were a year ago today. And so we're getting some more workers, right? That's why you're here, right? You're a worker. You're a worker in the harvest field, right? I hope so. You're not here just to just sit on your hind end and just receive. You're here to get and to give. That's why you're here, because you're, you're a worker in the harvest field. Therefore, it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Here we go, talking about lambs again. Yeah, listen, it will be, um, there'll be some hardships when you go out. Can I get an amen? Right? There is, isn't there? I know people that say, well, man, as soon as I followed Jesus, started following Jesus, my life got harder than it ever was before. Yeah, you are now a force. You're a tool in the hands of the Lord, and the enemy does not like that, and he will do everything he can to oppose that. Right, Justin? You know it's true, don't you? Yeah, man, as soon as you stand up and count yourself worthy, say, send me. All right, you better get your armor on because it's time to go to war. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. He wasn't saying uh, don't go, he doesn't go barefooted, but it says travel light. Travel light. So, a Monday night, uh, there's a friend of mine. His name is Sergei Moskolov. I met him in Belarus back in 2003. Sergey's is coming to Kansas City for two weeks. He's coming here to to bring awareness and raise money for a camp that ministers to people with disabilities in Belarus. If you don't know where Belarus is, look it up on a map. It's close to Poland. So he's coming here, and he's actually going to be here next Sunday. I'm going to encourage him to share a little bit about his story, too. And I remember traveling to Belarus uh, the second time that I went there, and I went with a group of people, and there was an older lady, she was around 80 years old, she beat the national average. There's a couple people in our church today that have beat the national average, praise God. You're raising the bar for all of us, thank you. And so she traveled, and she, she had one little backpack on her back, and that's all she took for that trip. And I felt like such an idiot. I had this huge suitcase because I wanted like a change of clothes every day. You know, like, like that really mattered on the mission trip, you know. And she wore the same skirt and basically the same shirt and the same pair of shoes every single day. She was traveling light. And she did not let it hinder her from the work that God had for her. It says, don't greet anyone along the road. All right. Now, Jesus wasn't telling them to be rude. He wasn't saying don't look at people, don't say hi to them. In this culture, to greet someone on the road might be like me at the grocery store. The reason why my wife doesn't usually go with me to the grocery store, because what ends up happening is, is I greet Nora at the grocery store, and I end up spending all my time talking to Nora and not doing what I'm supposed to do. In that culture, greeting someone would mean might be even going over to their home. They might say, you know what? I don't know what you're doing right now, Jacob. Let's just come on over. We're trying to get you to understand that it's just culture. Like, come over to Jacob's house on Friday night and just linger. Just hang out. Just eat together. Let's spend time together. That's normal for Christians. And so, but Jesus was saying, look, the time is short. Don't greet people like that. You might might say hi to them, give them the nod, whatever it is, but I got work for you to do, so keep moving. It says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. There are times when you're sharing the gospel, you're talking to some. Brady can confess to this. There are times when you're talking to someone and you know immediately they're a person of peace and they're going to receive what you have to offer. And then there are other times you're like, you know what? This person is not a person of peace. (laughs) And they're probably not gonna wanna hear what I have to say. It doesn't mean you shouldn't maybe go ahead and attempt to say it, but you know right away, this person is probably not an ally and I need to move on. It says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. Set up camp and go from there. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things they set before you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we're wiping our off even the dust of your town, it says, that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has not come near. I tell you on that day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. And then he gives some some woes and some rejections to the towns that did not receive the message. And then I'll go down to verse 17. The return of the 72. When they returned with joy, it says, they told the Lord, Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. Even demons flee. And Jesus said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus, I don't know, it's kind of facetious of me to think this way, but it's kind of like Jesus like, yeah, you saw demons flee? Listen, I saw the king of the demons flee. I saw him be cast out of heaven. Look, I have given you authority, he says, to trample on snakes and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. I was telling the guys this the other day at Burger King, that I think sometimes... We do not operate from the place of authority that we have been given in Christ. That we have a greater authority that we should operate from. And that doesn't mean go out and take silly chances and like jump off a cliff and say, God will save me. Don't don't put God to the test. But I think there are some times where we need to trust God, that he's going to use us and he's going to help us go into some situations where we need to pray for the enemy to be removed. And who better than those who have the power of Christ living in us? Uh, it's interesting, a, a woman who's here today, she came and she was asking me questions about, about demons and possession and those kind of things. And I remember a story where, and you maybe heard me share this story before, but maybe you didn't. But Emma, was, uh, Emma came home from a mission trip to Denver, and she had been in contact with some people on the street. And she brought home this demonic oppression in her life she brought it home it was dark it was heavy and it would not let her rest until she came into our room that night it's about one o'clock in the morning she laid down next to the bed and the next thing you know she's like dad dad it's on me it's on top of me and so we prayed in the name of Jesus out loud that you must flee because scripture says it's true when you begin to feel oppressed and overwhelmed speak his name out loud don't just say, oh, God, help me in your mind or whatever, or ask someone to pray for you, that's fine too. But you say, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the authority that's been given to me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, whoever you are, whatever you are, you got to go. Some of you are like, dude, this is weird. But this is real. It's not just real then, it's real now. And there is oppression on the earth. And you might have felt it. You might be feeling it today. But this is what Jesus says. However... Don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but instead rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you know that to do incredible things for God, those those things are incredible. Those are awesome and some exploits, and praying, and and ministry, and all those things are incredible. But you know what? Nothing trumps the fact that you have been rescued from death and been given life. Amen. Is that true? It's true, isn't it? Like if you know Christ, you conquered the only thing that you should ever fear, and that is death. And then once you know Jesus, you don't have to fear it anymore. You don't. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And so when my Aunt Leoma passed away, she went through a terrible sickness, terrible disease, suffered, lingered on. And when she died, it was great joy. Because her name was written in the book of life. And her name was written in the book of life because she put her hope and her trust in Jesus. She repented and she believed. She she obeyed the first command. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. God wants you to know him that way. He wants to use you as you go out into the harvest field to share that same truth with others. When you start to do that, that'll give your life meaning and purpose beyond anything you've ever experienced before. I promise you, there's nothing this earth can offer you compared to that. Nothing. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, is there a way we can black out the screen? Trish, do me a favor. Go up and touch the, the bottom button. Okay. All right, so make sure your kids are close to you. We're going to turn the lights out, all right? <laughs> make sure your spouse hasn't wandered off. Reach out and see if you can feel All right, go ahead. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your cell phones out, if you have your cell phone with you. Don't turn them on yet. Don't turn them on. Just want get, to get them out of your pocket, get them out of your purse. And so we don't have time to interview you like we did all the little kids to hear your story, but hopefully eventually we'll get to hear your story someday, share it with someone else. But I kind of want to know, and this will help everybody else know, who's in the room. And so if you have the opportunity, if you have the ability to do this, If you know that you know that your name is written in the book of life because you have put your hope and your trust in Jesus, whether it was you are five years old or whether it was five days ago, whether you're thinking about it right now, and you know that you know, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn on your light. Now, if you don't have a light, don't feel like you're not a part of the kingdom of God, all right? That's not good theology. Do you realize that when we start to testify that our names are written in His book, that we have been saved by the grace of God through our faith in Christ? See how it lights up the room, lights up the world. Pretty powerful, isn't it? All right, turn them off. If you were to be completely just vulnerable and honest today, and you say, Brady, I. I have not done that. I've not put my hope and trust in Jesus. I'm not sure that my name's written in the book. But I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. You turn on your light. Hold it up. If you turned it on. Anyone? Father, we pray. pray for, for those that are here today that have said yes to Jesus they. Their light is shining, I pray that they would let their, shine, their light shine brightly in the world that we live in that would not hide it under a bushel, hide it to where other people can't see it that they would let their light shine before men so that might, they might that men would glorify their Father in heaven. I pray for those who are still wrestling with this decision, what it means to really follow Jesus, maybe they're like some of the people in the end of John where John or Luke chapter nine where they're just They got too many other excuses or reasons why they haven't chose to follow Jesus yet. God, you are faithful, you're patient. It might take, like Jacob was saying, a breaking for you to allow him to carry you and to teach you to follow him. But that's the work that you're doing, Lord, and we trust you to do that work in the hearts and lives of these human beings that are here in this room that you would challenge us, that you would remind us like Billy Graham was saying that the time is short and that we would redeem the time that we have. All right, one last thing. How many of you say, just by turning on your light, that you want the Lord to use you to shine light in a dark place? the worship team, go ahead and come on up. And as the worship team leads us, if there's something that you need to respond to today, there's prayer that you need, Brady will be up here. Stephanie, would you go ahead and come too? Trish will be here too. Maybe you need someone to speak the name of Jesus over you to to bring healing, to bring release. Maybe you feel like you're captive to something and you just need freedom from that. This last song is for you to respond however God leads you to respond.
0: Thanks again for choosing this podcast from The Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or want to speak to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com, and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.